G'day podcasters, it's TJ here and before we launch into our first episode, I thought I'd like to take the time to say a big thanks to you all for having listened to my brand new podcast. Now I've learned a lot since graduating university a couple of years ago and the best form of learning for me has been picking the brains of those with experience. So this is why I've created this podcast so you and me can continue to learn from those who have come before us. Uh, if you want to have any questions or you want to contribute to the show, please email me at thesocialphysio@outlook.com or follow us on the socials. Be sure to tell your colleagues, friends and fellow students about the show as we'll be running some competitions down the track. So be sure to listen out. Uh, well, once again, thank you very much for pressing play and I hope you enjoy what is to come. Cheers. Social physiotherapy. Yeah, well, look, we're, we're sitting here at one of the treating clinics or tre- treating rooms at the South Sydney Orthopaedic Sports Medicine Clinic at, at Kensington. I'm here with Dr. Nathan Gibbs. Doc, thank you very much for being a part of the, the very first podcast. No, happy to, uh, happy to get involved. It's always good to talk shop. Yeah, well, um, we did a bit of research and, and obviously my extended research, you, you, you go straight to Wikipedia and there's a lot of... A nice little bit of uh, background on yourself. This would be a nice little game to see what's what's true and what's not. But um, <laughs> just to start us off, a bit about yourself. Um, growing up, played first grade for South Sydney and Parramatta. Any other teams? Actually, when I was still at school, I yeah. had a year at East in the under-23s back in those days. Okay. In my year 12 year. And uh, I was fortunate enough when uh, Jack Gibson took over coaching Souths in... You know, 78, 79, I went yeah. over there um, the first year out of school. Wow. And so that was awesome at, as an 18-year-old to be coached by someone of his stature. Yeah. And so it was fantastic. What position were you? I was back row in those days when you could play yeah. back row at 89 kilos. Yeah. It doesn't quite exist. You wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't make half back nowadays. So <laughs> exactly. the game has changed. Yeah. Uh, and it says here at the, the ripe old age of 24, you retired? Is that... Yeah, it was more... I was able to do, I was at university doing medicine. Yep. And that was actually manageable with football. And back in those days, football was still basically part time. I think yep. even the coaches had jobs okay. outside of football, as did all the players. So uh, you could do university quite easily and manage a football career. Yep. But the mid 80s, it was slowly changing into a more full time model. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had to make a decision on, on, uh, pursuing the football, which obviously wasn't going to go on forever yep. anyway, or, you know, going to my medical career. And I was very fortunate. What probably prompted my decision was the current South Sydney doctor at the time, uh, Jenny Saunders, mm-hmm. offered me a position to train in sports medicine with her at her clinic. Okay. And that was too too great an opportunity to, to miss and, and not accept. So, so that was fantastic. And at that time, how was a decision as big as that? sort of perceived by your teammates, your coaches, your family? Well, the funny thing was I had a one year at Parramatta yep. after playing with South, the majority of my, you know, or for six years at least. Yeah. And Jenny Saunders was a South doctor, but she left after 84. 
And so I came back at 25 as the South Sydney head doctor. <laughs> so I was quite... That was yeah. strange because I was... They're treating guys that you're playing against... Oh, playing with, sorry. Ex- exactly. So wow. I'm, I'm there as a head doctor yeah. at 25, you know, and the team's running out to play the game football, and I just mm-hmm. felt like I should be running out with you, but I wasn't. Okay. Um, and, and so you studied at... Is it UNSW? Yes, did uh, medicine there. Yep, and, um, and you're with Souths. What, where, where did you go from there? Yeah, I, I was there club doctor for 11 years, which yep. was fantastic. Wow, yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and during that period, I also got involved with uh, the representative teams as yep. head doctor. So I did the, I think in those days, the origin for 11 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, certainly when they were winning more than they do now. <laughs> and I've been yeah, back, yeah. back during the origin the last four years. Okay. So I've done, but I probably did 89 to 99 initially. Yeah. Trying to and bring that winning culture back to the team, yeah. Eh? yeah. And in that uh, same period, I was fortunate enough to do the Australian Rugby wow. League team for 10 years. So that was a fantastic uh, period when they still had the overseas kangaroo tours. And, yep. Uh, and it was interesting. Uh, I think I was uh, instrumental in in getting a physio on the... On those tours? As part of the okay. Australian team. So before they they just didn't have it was solely you treating the players. In nineteen ninety, there was no team physio wow. picked on the tour. Yeah, uh, I think Liz Steep was the first physio picked for Australia for a home series in ninety one. Yep, and I think Mark Bevan went away as a, a touring physio with the Australian team in ninety two. I think my my memory is good on those okay. years. Yeah, so it was it was a time where we had to make as a sports medicine doctor we had to make it more professional. Well, thank you, Dr. Gibbs, for getting us on board there. Uh, so when did you sort of make the decision or the, the choice to then change codes or, or do something different to rugby league that has been that was in your life for so long? Actually, it's, things just fall into place, yeah. as often do as you go along in life. The, uh, I did four years after South with the Manly Rugby League Football Club as team doc, and, uh, and that was partly from an association with Bob Fulton, who was an Australian yep. team coach yep. as well. yep. And then the Manly merged with the the Bears to form the Northern Eagles yep. based in the Central Coast. So mm. that was logistically too hard for me to manage living in, you know, in the eastern suburbs where I live. So I chose not to do rugby league after, I think that was 99. And then the around that same time, the Swans were looking for a team doctor and they just approached and, and I took the job on. Wow, so the Northern Eagles... Not good for the game, not good for the uh, yeah. the doctors as well. Okay, so, so I ended up doing AFL. I stopped last year, so yep. uh, I think I was involved there for eighteen years. So it was uh, good, good, yeah. good involvement. Oh well, well, I mean, we'll, we'll delve into that a little bit later when we talk about um, physio and all that sort of stuff. Um, we're here at, at at the South Sydney Orthopedic Sports Medicine Centre. How, how long have you been a director at this? Actually, the, the Grace Bryant. Another sports medicine doctor who covered lots of Olympics and myself together with Mark Brevin and Liz Steed set this up 30 years ago. Wow. And so this year is our 30th year of operation, oh, which, is, which is nice. Great. And, uh, Makes it sound old though. Uh, was this one of the first at the time when, it, when, you, when you all came together? or There weren't many sports medicine centres around. I know yeah. when I told you about starting with Jenny Saunders, she was one of the few yep. sports medicine clinics. There were some on the north side, Stuart Watson and Ken Crichton were 
had one at Narrabeen and and at okay. North Sydney. But aside from those, yeah, it was a it wasn't common. And I know when I started working full time in sports medicine, some of the doctors I knew said to me, "How can you fill your week up?" Okay, seeing sports medical people. And now, now and look at it. Yeah, and now it's you, you think well, you know, you're flat out and you're busy and and have been for a long time. So it's uh, it's interesting how sports medicine has evolved yep. together with sport itself and professionalism in sport uh, so it's been a, it's been a good That's development amazing. of the yeah. industry and uh and looking ahead um any big things in the on the horizon for for yourself oh this year i've got involved in the rugby which is nice okay. overseeing you know the wallaby player injuries from yep. a sports medical perspective yep uh, which is good I'm, I'm not touring with them but certainly helping out when they uh, they get broken, which um, yeah. in recent times playing the All Blacks, they certainly can get broken. So the big question is on, on the weekend, I mean, what code are we watching for leisure? Any? Well, the great thing about uh, yeah, remotes is you can you know, you can change chop around. and change. Yeah. You don't yeah. have to go too far to change channels. Or do we go the other end and yeah. just, you know, forget sport? Well, it was interesting last weekend. I was very keen to watch the Swans, but I obviously have to watch the Wallabies play, yeah. play Argentina. And, yeah. Uh, uh, so we were uh, chopping and changing. Just, just too hard there. All right, thanks for thanks for that. We're gonna we're gonna now um, have a bit of a break, and after the break, we'll talk about uh, physiotherapy and your experiences with them. So we'll see you after this. Back to Social Physiotherapy, the podcast. Um, I'm here with Dr. Nathan Gibbs. Um, firstly, thanks again for, for letting us um, have a bit of a chat now. And this sort of concept of a, a podcast, I'm really aiming to those new physios or people that are thinking about becoming a physio or you know, fresh out of uni. And, and it's the stuff they don't teach at uni, which I want to talk about. And, and a lot of the time, I know from my point of view, is it's, it's the stories, it's the you know, the experience that a lot of the older physios and clinicians have that, that really so far is shaping the way that I am treating as a physio. Um, now, obviously, just before we mentioned all the different teams, um, you've got the, the, the sports medicine practice here. Um, I, I, I can, you know, understand that your relationship with physiotherapists has been pretty close over the years. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I think the, the whole umbrella of sports medicine... There's lots of crossover in, in what we do and yeah. working in a collaborative way is, is critical to managing patients. And, and I love the, you know, certainly a professional team environment where you have SNCs, conditioning, uh, physio, rehab, uh, medical, all working together to achieve the same outcome and, and get players back on field and minimise injuries is fantastic. Similarly, in a clinic setting, uh, especially in a group yeah. setting where you have uh, I find it great to be able to go and talk to other people and learn from other people. I mean, now I think that's one thing I can say for young physios or young doctors or anyone yeah. starting is that you need to surround yourself with smarter people okay. so you can learn from. Yes. You, yeah, you yeah, can no. never stop learning. And I, yeah. I put myself in that category too. I, I love learning from others, whether it be people I work with, uh, talking to people, knowing your own limitations and yeah. then trying to, you know, get better. Okay. And um, out of all the physios, you know, all the stories that you've had, or the you know run-ins, or 
the working that you've done with physios um, as a startup question uh, from your experience you know, what makes a good physio what are the physios that have stood out to you and the ones you've worked with and you know what attributes did they have I think I was fortunate to work closely with, say, Matt Cameron at the Sydney Swans, who's still there, uh, and you know his his attitude was always uh, very inquisitive, wants to find out, wants to diagnostically challenge himself, mm-hmm. uh, wants to uh, test himself on return to play decisions. Yep. And we we used to sit back at many times discussing whether a player should play on any given weekend. Uh, he might have a view, I might have a different view. We would both agree yep. on what we'd do as a group decision and then we'd sit back in the game and, and just see see whether he was right or I was right and, and then have a beer over it after the match. <laughs> so it was... Uh, yeah. and, we'd, and that's how we'd learn. Yep. We would learn. And that's a, the great thing that you need to do historically yep. uh, with, with injury management is learn by the errors of the past that you made and that might be errors, generally speaking, or it might be every individual person or player you get to know might be more prone to certain injuries, so you have to treat them differently. So there's an individual sort of way you have to manage injuries in uh, in different players. And for those that are that are starting out in, in physio, um, want to want to have a career in the sports side, what are some key you know skills treatment? In treatment that that you've um, that you you think they should be developing firstly, or you know have a priority to get under their belt. I think it's always good if you have some sort of knowledge or or training in areas away from what you're you know competent and trained in. Yep. I know when I started doing sports medicine, I, I was only a you know a, a university trained doctor. Yeah. I had very little understanding of mm-hmm. you know how to examine you know from a musculoskeletal point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas most physio courses were much better at training individuals in that area. Yeah. I, I went off and did a graduate diploma in sports science mm-hmm. where I learnt a lot about functional anatomy, obviously psychology, uh, exercise physiology, uh, nutrition. Those sort of things give you a what bigger understanding of you know, the holistic approach to dealing with uh, sports people and injured and med- medically unwell sports people. Okay, so you did the medicine first, then you went back to do the sports science? Yeah. Okay. And so as a young physio, you have to... It's great if you're a young physio and you have some understanding of exercise physiology mm. because a lot of what you might get involved in might be uh, physio and rehab training yep. for an injured person who's, who can't go back to the main group mm-hmm. and train with the team yet. Okay. You know, so that sort of knowledge uh, is very helpful in, in... Even if you're not doing that directly, when you're dealing with the rehab uh, S&C people... You can you can talk on their same wavelength, so it uh, it just helps. Lovely, and and is sort of learning the ins and outs of the sport you're treating is that essential, or you reckon that's something that? Well, it's interesting. Like me, eventually you'll learn. Yeah, and it's not so much like injuries don't change from sport to sport in yeah. the sense a torn hamstring is a torn hamstring, but yeah. certainly what can change is what players may be able to play with or not play with. Okay, Get great it. example in. AFL, yep. it's a real man-on-man contest mm-hmm. and your opponent's running 100 miles an hour in one direction, you have to go with him. Yep. Uh, and if you do it the other way, he's got to go with you. Whereas in the rugby code, certainly you can just stay in the defensive line and sometimes you don't have to go at 
Yeah, um, Dumoulin, you constantly, can, yeah. If you're a smart player, you can play a bit injured yep. and actually not run that fast but still have a you know key role in the game, whereas in AFL that's not possible. So different codes have different uh, requirements that might mean you can play injured with a certain injury or not. Okay. Um, to the other side of it now, what what do you sort of see commonly as the more more common mistakes that you know, the, the young physio students come through or someone who's just starting out? What's uh, something they should avoid? I think the thing I see in all people, young young trained doctors or physios, is you have to start to think in a functional way. Yep. Whereas you come out and you're trained and, and yep. people, you know, when you ask someone, oh, how's so-and-so's leg, they say, oh, well, I've palpated it, I've done this test, I've done that test. It's like the Sydney yeah. Viva examination. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's where they've come from. Yep. Uh, whereas what I want to know is, well, can they run tomorrow? Yeah, what can they do, yeah. And, okay. and that's start with that and then work backwards. Uh, as in, yes, I think they can run, they, they've got good power, but they can't run flat out or they can't run for too long. So then you start talking about, you know, restricted training programs and all those sorts of things. So mm. it's, you've got to start to think, use your anatomical diagnostic stuff uh, and think in a functional way. Because okay. everything in the professional athletes about what they can do. Because yeah. doing nothing is, is rarely acceptable. And I mean, if that's that, if that's someone like yourself asking that, I can only imagine then if the physio is talking to someone like the coaching staff. I mean, they don't want to hear any of that sort of stuff as well. They want to know. Absolutely. Is he in? They're, is he out? They're black and white. They just want to know: Have I got this player? Yep. When can I have him for training? When can I work on you know team skills and technical detail? All right. Well. Thank you very much. Uh, is there any any other sort of messages to to physios that, that you have, or is there anything that you like to see the area of physiotherapy doing better in the future? Or no, I, I think the single biggest lesson I've learned yeah. is to work together. Yep. To leave your you know the old saying, leave your ego at the door. Yeah. And be prepared to admit making a mistake. Be prepared as a group. Always work together in the sense. Uh, discuss mm -hmm. how you might have variations in treating someone uh, you know behind closed doors talk to the docs and the trainers and as a group come up with a, a team decision how you're going to yeah. manage that play and as a group uh, stick to that when you're talking to the player the okay. worst thing for players or clinic patients is mixed messaging uh, and so that's where uh, working together as a group having no egos mm -hmm. learning from the mistakes you make which will happen invariably because the, the great thing about sports medicine and the challenge I love yeah. is that we're trying to get people back as quickly as possible yeah. uh, and we're trying not to jeopardise you know, health and safety. Of course, yeah. But obviously the, you know, we keep people out forever. Yeah, and exactly. That's, yeah. that's very Protect safe. them too much. But you wouldn't have any people playing. <laughs> so that it's that challenge yeah. of how hard to push people, how hard to push in rehab, uh, how quickly you can get someone back. And when you're pushing, when you're really pushing on the yep. edge like that, mistakes will happen. You'll have re-injuries. You'll have things yeah. that don't go yeah. according to plan. But that's still, uh, that's a challenge to sort of push and push that and not be scared mm -hmm. to make the odd mistake. Did you ever find it hard communicating or relaying that message to the coaching staff or the stakeholders in the, the teams you were working with? Oh, you always have, well, as a general principle, yeah. you often have trouble with coaches. Yeah. And it's interesting in the in the 
let's say, the sports medical team at a professional footy club where you have the, the fully trained exercise, you know, physiology guys, yeah. the fully trained physios, fully trained doctors, probably the least trained of anyone is often the coach. Yeah. They're the least academically qualified. So sometimes, uh, and that's the way it is. That's yeah. not a criticism. That's no. just how it is. So yeah. that sometimes that can be an issue in terms of how you communicate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I shouldn't say you need to dumb yourself down, but <laughs> no, you do no. need to uh, yeah. talk at a level that they can understand. And, I mean, they're, they're giving you some sort of outside external pressure, aren't they? Because they, co- they, want, they want the player out there. Yeah. And that's part of, part of your brief as well is you want to be a, a doctor or a physio that gets players back quickly, that yeah. Takes, yeah. takes a challenge on and takes a risk, a calculated medical risk that, mm-hmm. that comes up trumps. That they're the good stories that you, that you, have, you yeah. want to be able to talk about. And are you incorporating them in your treatment? Are they present when you're doing the treatment or do you do you sort of say, okay, we'll do our thing and once we get them ready, then you can have them? Or do you find it better if you get the, the, the coaches you know, in the treatment, well, actually in the, in the, the meetings? Day, yeah. The modern day yeah. you know, professional team, at least coaches, yep. haven't got time or okay. nor do they want that involvement. Yep. You know, they accept that you're there as a, yep. as a you know, person with expertise and they let you do your job okay they just want to hear the outcome lovely all right we'll have a break now and we'll, we'll come back and, and and talk a bit more about the sports medicine industry going to direct the conversation now to your treatment okay we talked about the physios um the way that you were treating patients when you first started as a 25 year old doctor to now um what improvements have you you've, you've seen that you've used and which have you seen that you don't really think are necessary i think there's a few and obviously we're talking a long period 30 odd years the one of the biggest advances has certainly been mri scanning for musculoskeletal yep because that just makes the accuracy of the diagnosis much better. Mm-hmm. And it's actually made so many new diagnoses yeah. that we uh, never presumed before. Uh, and it's also a lot of how we treat things. I remember in the early days as a football doctor, I would do a lot of painkilling injections yep. you know, on game day, yep. which obviously have a risk. Yep. Uh, in the modern era, you're doing less and less of those simply because the focus now is on being more aggressive in your treatment to try to... In- fix things mm-hmm. uh, so that you can use less of a painkiller on game day. And yeah. and certainly in the old days, corticosteroid, and we still use that as an injectable. Yeah. Uh, but that's uh, because it does have side effects, particularly in soft tissue of weakness. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we tend to use that less often and it's been taken over, superseded by cellular therapies, which are much, much more helpful... Uh, and they make more sense yeah. using things like PRP or platelet-rich plasma, mm-hmm. uh, even dabbling in stem cells, which is another uh, follow-on from that, where you're using the platelet cell from your own blood, which releases growth factors and repairs tissue normally as, yep. it's, as its role. Mm-hmm. So you concentrate blood, extract the platelets, and inject them into areas of the body where, which are damaged. So obviously the blood flow has been affected because of the trauma. Mm-hmm. You inject them into areas of the body where... There's not a natural high blood flow, such as tendon and joint injuries. Yep. Uh, it's a really 
safe and effective way of for chronic injury as well as for acute trauma and and has none of the apart from the needle risk has none of the weakening effects that say corticosteroids may have uh, and so it's a that's been a big change in sort of what I've been doing, say, for the last six or seven years at least. Yeah. And has that sort of been perceived quite well with the teams, introducing that and, and using it? Do they have anything against it? No, it's, it's, uh, it's been accepted very well. Lovely. And, and, and it uh, makes – and part of the reason is it's – the rationale behind it is makes sense. Yep. People can understand, oh, well, this is natural. It's your own, yeah, your that, own yeah. cell that heals your body and we're yeah. just putting it where it's not getting too easily. When should the treating physio think that this would be the, the way to go? Should it be the first thing that they, they go to? Or? And it's, it's, it's an adjunct to physio treatment. Yep. So that okay. you say your typical hamstring tear, where you, let's mm-hmm. say you might have an uh, intramuscular tenderness tear, yep. which is a more significant hammy tear, mm-hmm. uh, injecting PRP you know, around where the tenderness tear is in the muscle can certainly help facilitate healing together with you know, an ongoing physio program, mm-hmm. you know, simultaneous. Say if we, we stick with, with hamstring um, injuries, now that we've got these adjuncts and these new technologies, um, return, to, return to sport back when you, when you were with the rugby league teams um, compared to now, are they, is it making it a, a quicker return? I think the... Uh, Perhaps you're getting back more quickly and, and part yeah. of the focus on hamstrings, because there's such a high risk of recurrence, yeah. uh, sometimes now the return to sport is more conservative. Mm-hmm. So some people are taking the approach, well, let's get this perfectly better so we don't have ongoing recurrent issues. Uh, so uh, things may have changed a little bit yeah. uh, in terms of bigger picture treatment rather than you know, short-term you know, return and short-term goals. Uh, but the hamstrings, without a doubt, across the time I was at the AFL, yeah. they have the national survey of all teams. Exactly, yeah. And I think hamstrings, 18 years ago, were the most common injury in the mm-hmm. AFL. Uh, missed the most games. Yeah. And I think when I was last there last year, they're still number one. Okay. And that's despite all, all the, the really smart yeah. people, physio, sports yeah. science, medical, involved in all the AFL teams across Australia. Yep. Lots of smart people involved, and it's still a dilemma trying to fix a recurring hamstring. Okay, is there anything that um, you focus on with with that treatment of of that as that other people wouldn't, or that you think or that works for you? The critical thing, I know now at the Swans, part of it is about managing load and monitoring symptoms. Yep. So that we we probably take more notice of hamstring tightness. So okay. lots of people might, you know, present with some tightness. They're still able to train. Yeah. In the past, we might ignore it, whereas mm-hmm. in recent years, we probably uh, would prefer that person not run around with hamstring tightness because that's a definite predisposer to tearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a, obviously a subjective symptom we look at. Uh, are you doing? Are you taking that to to rugby now at the moment? Is it the same focus or...? No, most, most of the professional teams yep. do the wellness measurements so wellness, you know, yep. where they look at you know, sleep quality, fatigue, overload, muscle tightness, muscle soreness. Yeah. Uh, and that's a very easy way to, uh, to see how a player's feeling. Uh, and it's very simple to do and, and you don't need expensive equipment just to yeah. do all that Ask sort of question. stuff. Yeah, lovely. 
now, how do you see the role of sports medicine as a group changing as we go towards the future? Is that, is that it's, a, it's a bit of a, a broad question. Do you see any changes or do you think where we're at now I, is, I think is it's, quite good? It's grown magnificently yeah. with the growth of sport in general and professionalism in sport. Mm-hmm. And basically the, the money in sport has filtered through to all the different areas, assistant yep. coaching, yep. Uh, sports science, nutrition, psychology, medical, all yep. the arms of the sports medical umbrella mm-hmm. are, get, are getting reasonable money. Yeah. I know when I first started at Souths, for instance, I was in an honorary capacity for most of that time. Mm-hmm. I s- didn't, didn't leave the clinic. I turned up on the weekend to the game yep. and players used to come to the clinic and see me at the clinic. Uh, if I wanted to, I could be a full-time doctor at a football team nowadays. Oh, yeah. So it's turned right around in terms and, and get paid reasonably well. So the the money is available and the medical, certainly I know with physios, mm-hmm. the head physio at, uh, at most professional teams gets paid e- extremely well, mm. uh, ex- probably more than the doctor, <laughs> which probably says something. Oh. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, what we're going to do now, we've, we've ha- I've had a few of the um, the people following us on our social media bring through some questions. I did advertise the fact that we're, we're going to start this podcast. Um, I've narrowed it down to two. Um, we're just going to ask you some, some questions from, from yeah, the fans right. or the, the listeners, I should say. Uh, the first one's from a guy named Tim and he, he wanted to know, uh, what was the, the biggest change for you um, treating rugby league players? to treating AFL players and now treating rugby union players. Obviously, we said the hamstring, the, the type of injury. Um, type of players, type of... Obviously, the physically, they're, they're different yep. you know, prototypes. Mm-hmm. AFL are more like your middle distance runners. They have to cover a lot of ground. Yep. It's usually 12 to 15 k's. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but some of those... And I remember the great Adam Goods, yeah. even in his latter... Might have been his last year he played last year. Yeah. Uh, I think he covered. Uh, they measure top speed running, yeah, uh, over thirty-five k's an hour or thereabouts, and I think he did four point one kilometres of that in a game and was second highest of, of the whole team. And that's him at thirty-five or whatever. Yeah. So that's part of the what you need at AFL from a from a fitness point of view. Obviously, the rugby codes are massively about power yep. and size yep. and and the contact contact is such a bigger part of the game that that's physically draining so the uh, you know that you get a lot more impact injury yeah. uh, obviously in the, does, in the rugby yeah. codes uh, in the AFL codes obviously it's it's more the overload overuse tendonitis tendinopathy stress yep. fracture mm-hmm. those sorts of things which are actually harder to manage sometimes because okay. you really have to change and adjust the the training load and they can often take you know as you know months and months to get under control so it's can be frustrating could you see a distinct change in the the locker room of all the different codes like the i mean the personality wise the social side of it are they it's interesting i reckon they because generally speaking it's the same age group you yep. know you've got the, 18 yeah, to playing, 32 yeah. year olds yep you've got a, a mixed number of 18 to 20 uh, middle middle twenties and, and older players. Yeah. Obviously, the older players invariably married with kids. Yep. The young players are like any twenty year old, yahooing yes. a bit. Yep. Uh, and so there's that mix across the group of thirty or forty or fifty people, mm. and that doesn't change. Doesn't change. Doesn't matter what sport they're playing. Okay. The nature of forty people across that age 
differential is uh, it's interesting. It's yeah. it's good fun. It so sort of it. certainly keeps. It's always kept me young, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. The players retire at thirty, and yeah. I just keep I just you hang just around, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so I suppose you've got to then you got to yeah learn how to you know you know talk to the the younger kids who may have an ego or they they just think they're invincible to the ones that are nursing those injuries they just want to get through the end of the season and you know it's interesting i started as i said at 25 yeah like i was one of them as a player yep and i won't tell you what age i'm now but i'm certainly like (laughs) their father so that uh my my sort of way i the conversations you have a little bit different now to the uh feel like i'm talking to kids (laughs) all right uh, we've got another one here um this is from a, a guy named matt he wants to know what was the the most complicated injury you've returned a player back from, and I'm going to add on there, and um, and how did you utilise the whole team in, in that example? Is there any that stand out? Interesting, probably that we've had some, in terms of, say, the most serious, I remember a couple of the AFL guys, yeah. uh, Ted Richards broke eight ribs, six ribs in eight places and had a severely tensioned pneumothorax. Wow. So that was quite a nasty... Yeah. Injury we dealt with at the at the ground, okay, uh, and uh, I think Leo Barry, another guy, had a burst spleen that uh, his blood blood pressure dropped to about ninety, and yeah. I think he ended up having about three liters of blood in his abdomen by the time he got to hospital. So they were, wow, they were complicated in terms of life threatening. Yeah, yeah, that sort of really tests you out. Of course, uh, in terms of your you know accident emergency sort of skills. Yep, in terms of getting people back. I still remember the using the the Lars ligament option yeah. to treat Wait. one of the Swans guys, Malczewski. One of the first ones that yeah, probably okay. one of the first to be involved in a professional play, having it done. Yep. And he got back and played at uh, uh, twelve weeks later. Wow. And uh, and it was great in them, and that was back in about. And it's interesting, interesting how some things can change careers. I think at the time, he was in and out of the senior team, mm-hmm. and that may well have not getting back to play may well have affected his ongoing contract. Yeah. He gets back, he plays, and it was a great story in the 2012 Premiership win. Yeah. Where he kicked the first and certainly the last goal. Wow. Uh, so he's, you know, that was a great story of someone who, whose career may well have been different okay. had he had the conventional 12 months off yeah. ACL recon. And being one of the first, how did you, you, like, the whole medical team go about sort of the treatment? Are you... Did you were you guided by protocols from overseas? Were you sort of it was interesting the, making it up? At, or uh, it was interesting. Matt Cameron, who we mentioned was a physio with the Swans. Yeah, he actually had to design a rehab program wow. okay. as an accelerated ACL return to play. Yeah, uh, and had to be done probably from week week four to to week twelve. Week twelve, or accepting week week twelve was full team training, so the rehab was probably week. Four to week ten, basically. Yeah. And, uh, and and Matt had to design it, and uh, I'll take credit for it, of course. But <laughs> but he did all the work. Your name will be on it. And what from week twelve onwards, everyone was just holding their breath and. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's absolutely. That's, that's and he did re-tear it a couple of years later. Okay. And chose to have a second last. Okay. And uh, and I've and I remember talking to him before he left the Swans and signed a good contract with the Suns. Yeah. Uh, I said, what would you do if you tore the Lars again? He said, I'd, I'd just do another one because then I'd still be, I'd still miss as much football as a yeah. one, a one-off conventional recon. One, yeah. So or, you know, three for, for the, you know, the, the time that one takes. That's, 
That's amazing. Well, um, look, I just want to say thank you um, for taking the time, firstly, to, to have a chat with us. Um, really appreciate it, and and I look forward to um, you know watching and see how the, the Wallabies run around. Any insights to how we're how the future looks with the Wallabies? Yeah, <laughs> can you can you break any new stories from us here? Actually, they're uh, obviously they're they're in a re- rebuilding phase, and they're focusing on you know the next World Cup as everyone does. Yep. Having just come off the last one and gone so well, but uh, it's interesting with when you look at you know a nation like the All Blacks who yeah. also are in a rebuilding phase, but suddenly <laughs> are as good as ever. You know, rebuilding so phase is great. Yeah. yeah, they don't lose anything, do they? Yeah. Despite losing so many, you know, massive, exactly, yeah. you know, great experienced players. Mm. All right. Well, thank you for once again, um, Dr. Nathan Gibbs. Pleasure having you on the first no, episode. Happy, happy to be here, Trent. Thank you. Thank you very much. There you have it, guys, the first episode of Social Physiotherapy. I hope you enjoyed it. To get in touch with me, email me at thesocialphysio at outlook.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Until next month, I've been TJ. I'll see you there. Bye.